the Tendy Man come to send a rocket into the sun. One day when the trading is done, we'll take our gains and go. She had not been two weeks from shore when Ryan Cohen joined the board. The captain called all hands and swore he'll take his shares and hold. <gasps> Soon may the Tendy Man come to send a rocket into the sun. One day when the trading is done, we'll take our gains and go. Welcome to Question Block, Secret Lofts, Educational Historical, uh, Goofy as Hell podcast. I am Alex, or Wires of NYC on Instagram. With me is... Aerialist. Hey, Aerialist. Hi. Describe what's going on behind us here. What are we looking at? It's the stocks. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like a ticker, but it's like a, a chart. Yeah. yeah, it's wavy. It's like an up and down Peaks uh, and chart. Peaks and Nice, yeah. And what's on your shirt? Oh, and I'm wearing my uh, Doge to the moon shirt. It's got Doge with a space helmet on. So you're Elon Musk, basically. Yeah, I'm Wall Street Bats and Elon Musk. You got me the shirt, but it was back before you knew about stocks. But now, now, now I'm a, a woman of Enron with diamond hands. I'm <laughs> nice. holding on to that stock. Nice. Yeah, you've educated yourself. You've taken a crash course in finance and your regular poster on Wall Street Bets now. Yep. So if you were a stock, what would it, the name of your stock be? What would the name of your stock be? I mean, probably because of Secret Loft. It'd be like SLO. How about you? Nice. It'd be Air. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Having a good ticker is a very valuable thing. And there's like a well-known phenomenon where people will mistake stock tickers for stuff. So there's like a Coke stock ticker that is not Coca-Cola. It's a company that manufactures like... The, Cocaine. No, the chemical Coke used in like Cocaine. blast furnaces. But Coke always like if Coca-Cola does big earnings announcements, Coke will also like trade because people make mistakes and then other people know that people make mistakes and then we'll count on that and purposely like also buy when like intentionally to because they know the stock's going to go up so i have a question yeah what's a stock a stock uh refers to the equities market and it basically is just a share of a company companies that have have stock generally are known as public companies because you can buy a piece of that company it's available to members of the public Stockholders really are the owners of the company. What was the first stock company? The first company to issue stock? No, what was like the first? You know what I mean. The, was it the Dutch East India Company or the British? The Dutch. The Dutch East The Dutch India Masters. Company. So why were they the first company to issue stock? To step back a little, private companies just have like an LLC or whatever, just has an owner and they have some percentage of the company they own, but there aren't shares and aren't marketed to the public. So why did the Dutch East India Company need to issue shares? They had lots of voyages, lots of different ships going everywhere, looking for spice. And uh, these voyages were very dangerous. So if you they they needed to get backers like to pay for all the ship they stuff. They needed capital. Yes. And that generally is yes. the reason a company goes public and sells shares of the company. Because why would the owners of the company give up control of their company? It's because you make a lot of money from it. And so you generally you issue stock for your company to raise capital so that you can do stuff. In the case of the East India Company, they needed to buy ships. And fight pirates and stuff. So a lot of times the ships didn't didn't make it. So if you were like the backer of the one ship, you'd be screwed. So they the, these people decided to, the investors decided to diversify and invest in many of, like a little bit in, in lots of the different voyages. So that way they, you know, if one of them didn't make it, that's okay because maybe another one would. And then they'd get a return on their investments. Yeah, so it both it lets the company raise a bunch of capital. It lets individual investors 
who maybe previously would just invest in a single voyage, right? You you would buy get a three hundred share of like one ship's voyage, like in Moby Dick. Uh, instead, you can invest in a company that has lots of voyages. So hopefully, on average, you work out making a profit. And it seems like it worked. It lasted for a couple hundred years. Yeah. So the Dutch East India Company was created in uh, Amsterdam in 1611, and all the traders would. And it was the only stock, which is funny. But they had an exchange for it, and they would all the traders would meet on this exchange, and they would slap each other's hands. Yeah. So if I'm like Ariel, you want to piece of the Dutch East India Company. It's 14, I don't know what the Dutch currency is. Dutches. It's 14 Dutches. Probably it was pieces of eight. It's 14 doubloons. Everybody's using Spanish currency back and then. And I'd go. And you go. And then you'd go. <laughs> and, then, and then we'd make a deal. And that's a deal. But there is, there is this guy named La Mer went on later to form a very expensive skincare company. Just kidding. Good joke. So this was also early 1600s, I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Lemaire got kicked out of the exchange. He was he was an officer in the Dutch East India Company, and there was some issue with his, I guess, expense reports or his receipts. He was accused of some kind of financial malfeasance, and the records don't haven't really survived. But and his skin is too too perfect. So they Get kicked him out, him out of here. And then his church punished him too. He wasn't allowed to participate in certain church services. That's how important the Dutch East India Company was. So he was like, "Screw them! I'm gonna I'm gonna bet against them." And he did. He Because there was a pretty sophisticated exchange, even with the one stock, you could short. The way a short works is that I effectively borrow shares in a company and sell them immediately with the promise that I will buy them back in the future. So, And then you buy them back when they are cheaper. You would, you would cheaper. hope that they're cheaper. Okay. Yes. So if today the Dutch East India Company is trading at 15, um, I can go to often a broker or bank or somebody who has a lot of shares. And I say, okay, me, I'm going to sell it to you. I, I, I go to, well, sure. I go to the broker. And I say, I want to short this stock. And they say, okay, we're, uh, we're going to sell it to Ariel right now at 15. And I've promised my bank, I'll buy it back from you within a month. Let's say a month later, it is trading at 10. I then buy it back at 10 and I've made $5. Nice. So that's how you short. But generally shorting is done by very large activist investors who have a lot of money and can go on CNBC. You know, this this guy, though, he had a lot of kids, so... Lemaire had know. 22 kids. Yeah, he had a lot of kids, so it's but, a, the same. But Lemaire was an activist short seller because he spread rumors that, like, the ships had caught fire or been, like, held in port or... or the spices went bad. That's spices. my favorite. He's like, yo, the pepper on that ship, it's it's a uh, fugaze. Yeah. <laughs> it tastes like... It tastes like uh, mace. <laughs> I don't know. The pepper is really salty, and then it 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 took a long time for the East India Company to like disprove the rumors because they didn't have Twitter. Well, he was initially successful and started driving down the price. So this was when the first ever like stock short happened in early 1600s, and it's also when the first dividend was issued. So to counter the negative publicity, the Dutch East India Company issued a dividend which is when a company basically gives some gifts, usually money, but in this case, it wasn't money. They give Spice it. they give some money or some proceeds of the current profit of the company to their shareholders. You get paid out a little bit. And in this case, with the Dutch East India Company, they just gave away some spices. I guess they didn't have hard currency at the time. Salt Bay. So they just gave every, they're like, come by and get a little bit of pepper. And that was enough to improve public sentiment. And then they like screwed over that guy. I don't know. And he died. 
and it was on his tombstone. They they complained to the yeah local authorities and they kicked Lemaire out of Amsterdam for being a troublemaker, and he died out in the countryside. Word. Okay. What was on his tombstone? Lemaire. He was a great man. He made a lot of money, and he lost it all except for his dignity. That's it. So that's the first, the first story of stocks. What's the next important thing in stock times? Well, if we're going to go historically, shortly after the formation of the Dutch East India Company, also in the Netherlands, the tulip mania thing happened. Word. Which, and this is where they were like valuing tulips as more expensive than like their house. That's the first commodities bubble. Yes. It's like the fe- they fetishize the commodity. So tulips are a commodity, much like oil. Or pork bellies. It's a thing. It's not money. It's not ownership in a company. I got you. It's an actual physical thing. So yes, people just bid up the price of tulips to the price of a house or whatever. And it just lasted like three years. Then there was this one year where there was like a big tulip auction situation and like only sellers showed up. Yeah, that's bad. Yikes. It was bad. So that was 1634 to 1637. So there's like a whole bunch of stuff. And then how do we get to the New York Stock Exchange? You want to jump all the way up to there? Yes, let's do it. You know, in the early 1600s, they've established stocks, the concept of an exchange and the concept of short selling. Banking systems start being founded. Early 1700s, the Bank of England is founded. And then over in America, they take a cue from the British and they're like, we should have our own banking system. So you want to talk about, I know you researched more about the. I mean, it's basically the history of Wall Street. There actually was a wall, and it was actually to keep the British out. It was like reverse Brexit, basically. Oh, it was for the defense of like Lower Manhattan. Yeah. There was a wall. There was a wall. And then Peter Stuyvesant was like, let's take down the wall, but we'll just keep the name. It's Wall Street. There's also a lot of slavery around there. Yeah, just uh, was it like several years ago they were doing... Like digging up, ex- excavating something to build a new building and found they were like, thousands yikes. of skeletons of slaves that were buried <laughs> oh, no. in a mass grave. So, yeah, they're in a, another commodity that they sold at the time in the 1700s was slaves. Enslaved people. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you. A lot of the enslaved people helped to build a lot of the like infrastructure in that area. So everything's tainted. That's That's basically like the history of... The street, the Wall Street street. I mean, it's it was like by the ports, so it made trading easy. Yeah, what formed the New York Stock Exchange specifically was in the late 1700s, a group of merchants signed the Buttonwood Tree Agreement. Oh, right, because they would just sit around by this tree and like My do guess deals. Is there was actually probably there a was tree. there was a Buttonwood Tree like on Wall Street as well, and they would like sit under it like Ferdinand and make deals. Yeah, so they agreed to some basic rules for how they're stock exchange should be set up like how buying and selling should work how you should post the prices of your stocks that sort of thing uh in 1790 the philadelphia stock exchange formed oh yeah and the new york stock exchange was like they were dealing with like the war and they they visited philadelphia and they were like maybe we should like join forces like because philadelphia was like doing a little bit better than them oh okay yeah, the New York Stock Exchange is is a company, by the way. It is not a, a government-owned entity or anything. It is itself a private company that like rents where the New York Stock Exchange is. It rents that building, or maybe probably owns the building by now, but it is itself a company. And it has competition. There are other exchanges where stocks are bought and sold. So what would a stock, like buying and 
buying and selling this. It would be like pieces of paper. What kind of? So at that time, you actually would get you would get a certificate of stock, and it would be a piece of paper, and you had to hold on to it, uh, or you'd go deposit it with your banker, and and it and it was that it was a certificate that said like is entitled as a bearer to like one share in whatever company. And then when do they have the ticker, or like around one? Well, ticker is going to be after electricity, right? So it's going to be in the like early 1900s. Once the telegraph is invented, and you can have really like rapid communication, as you can imagine, being able to trade very quickly or get information quickly gives you an edge in the market. But also, it was really funny because it 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 didn't it wasn't that quick because you had to have a runner who would go to the broker. Like the brokers weren't in the same place as the ticker, so like the runner would like go look at it and then run to the broker's office. They had like incredible legs. It was amazing. Yeah, and they really did have the the pit of stock traders like in Wall Street and these other movies where it's a bunch of guys like down in a pit holding up numbers and yelling their orders and some guy trying to like listen to them and sort out and place the orders to buy and sell. Animals. Speaking of animals, what is a bull and what is a bear? Is I've heard this like a lot, but the bullish market and the bearish market. Is yeah. that like the Democrats and Republicans? What's no. the deal? Bull market is good. It's a market that's going up. And so that's why the that statue down in Wall Street, the Wall Street bull is there. That statue, by the way, is a work of vandalism. It was not approved. The sculptor, I think, made it in the 70s or, or 80s. The sculptor just made it and installed it there. And it weighs like several tons. So they couldn't move it. And they were like, it's pretty cool. So they kept it. And then a couple years ago, they, the somebody, girl. they put the girl in front of the bull. Banksy. <laughs> no, the girl is actually a marketing campaign. There's a, an exchange-traded fund called like Her or She that's like stocks for women. And the girl is is like their marketing ploy, which is very silly. But she's now also part of, I don't know, that Wall Street girl, sculpture garden. The girl market. That's yeah. I like a girlish market. So, uh, a bull market, it's also called being in the black. Generally, you write your, your positive, like your wins, your profits are written in black. Losses are written in red ink. So they talk and about the, the red bear. and the black. So And a bear market is when like stocks are down. That's so stupid. Why don't they just be like the markets up and I don't know whatever because then you can be like oh the the bulls are really out today they're like charging because like people who are like buying and driving the market up at higher prices they're like oh it's a bull market and then you'd be like oh no it's the the bears are really are those really shorters are shorters whatever. bears a short a short would be a bear because they're betting on a stock to fall nice i like that okay so there's the stocks that are on these pieces of paper right like what's like a thing that happens that's like a new thing but turns out to be a bad thing in the 20s what's going on because it's the roaring 20s people are going they're going buck they're like world war one has ended so lots of people have capital now the economy does well throughout the 20s there's a big boom and everybody gets into investing in the stock market if there are more buyers than there are sellers it's going to push up the price of things basically became like an american pastime almost of everybody investing in these companies and when there's lots of money, you're also going to get lots of fraudulent stuff too. So maybe there are companies that don't really have good financials that can find buyers because everybody wants to buy stocks. So there is a bubble in stocks in the in the 20s. But also, there are two things that happened. One is that people were allowed to insider trade. Like, there is no rule against it. There wasn't much oversight. Okay. No. So like, if you, I don't know, if like you were investing in like the cow stock and then like, the livestock and uh your friend 
like owned that company and he's like, yo, a bunch of my cows just died. You could just like pull your money out. It's always your brother-in-law. The brother-in-law is like this mythic figure in financial insider trading cases because they always like golf together and it's these guys who know each other, but they don't have the same last name. So they think you're they can n- get away with it. It's, you're my real brother by our yeah, dad. Exactly. <laughs> but this wasn't, a, it was just like a thing. Like it wasn't a scandal. It was just like something. Yeah. If you got information before it like hit the streets, then good for you. So you, so a lot of people would like pull their money out, uh, which would like devalue the stock. And then also people were allowed to start getting loans. You can buy stocks on margin. So if you're confident the stock will go you're up. Like, I'm good for it. I swear. That's basically what they, and they'd yeah, be you, like, all right, sounds you effectively good. Can, you don't have to put up the full purchase price of the stock. You can put up just like X percent of the stock and buy it on margin. And this is still like a very common thing. So it lets you make a, a larger bet than you could otherwise afford. And if the stock starts going down, you can get what's called a margin call. So your bank basically calls you up and is, or your broker is like, you have to put up more money. We're like, we think you might lose money on this trade and you're not going to, so you're going to have to be able to cover it and buy all of these shares yourself. If this is in, I think like September 1929. September 1929. A thing people maybe don't realize is that the crash didn't happen in one day in fall of 1929. The market dropped a lot and then a lot of bankers kind of made a big public show of buying stocks to push prices back up. And there was a lot of like reassuring investors. So that it went back up 70% of what it had dropped. And then like later in October, it dropped again. And over the next three years, the market would occasionally just lose 10% of its value. The crash of the late 20s took like two to three years to really play out. And by the end of it, I think stocks were down to like 20% of their initial value at the peak. The people that were investing in the stock market were like business people, like wealthier people. But it this trickled down to affect the lower class because like if there isn't like a company, then you can't hire like workers. And this is Keynes's like general theory. The problem you have in a stock market crash is everybody wants to save money. Like nobody wants to spend money because they're afraid they're going to be insolvent suddenly. But if everybody saves money, nobody is spending any money. One person's spending is another person's income. So the problem is that the overall velocity of money in the market slows down. There's all these knock-on effects. It's like maybe some company folds, but then there's nobody to buy widgets that were needed for like the car company or whatever that folds. And so then all the suppliers of the car company fold. And then the restaurants that like serve the workers in the factories also fold. And it kind of ripples through the economy. You know what economies are usually good though? And they sometimes go up in a depression. What's that? The illicit ones. Yeah, it makes sense. People, uh, well, because people, they want to forget. They like, you know, they, they kind of, they're like, screw it. I've lost every, you know, I have nothing more to lose. Like, why not sell my body? It really was World War II that finally like fixed the Great Depression. Isn't that interesting? The war always fixes things. Well, it created demand. If the problem was a lack of demand because nobody wanted to spend any money, suddenly the government stepped in and was like, we need to manufacture a ton of tanks and airplanes. And so suddenly there was demand and it got all these factories going again. Prior to that, there were lots of efforts to effectively do this, to like throw more money into the economy. Part of what Roosevelt did was create like the Works Progress Administration. So he just created jobs. He was like, I love that name. Or the WPA. Hashtag work in in progress. But that's why we have the national parks. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was like, just put a path, put a path over here. Yeah, go go put a path through that volcano. Ooh, so okay, I have a question. Yeah. What is like the da- like the Dow and the was there the Nasdaq at this time? No, the Nasdaq is an exchange. The Nasdaq okay. is similar to the New York Stock Exchange. Nasdaq's founded in 1971, 
Okay, so there was the so that what I meant to ask is like the Dow, which is the way of like measuring how good the stock market is doing, right? The Dow is just an index, and that that's short for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And there are just two guys whose names are Dow and Jones. Jones really got screwed, didn't he? <laughs> when they shorten it, they leave him out. Standard and Poor's, or the S and P, is another like broad index of the market. Okay, but this time, because this is like saying all the so it's the, like Dow, the Dow, the Dow Jones is a couple. I think it's like a couple dozen, or maybe it's like oh, around a hundred or so stocks that are just chosen. They form an index. You add up the ticker values of all the stocks in the index. That's the Dow Jones. So it's sort of a loose representation of the overall health of the stock market. I do want to make a point with the with the Dow Jones Industrial Average, though, is it changes over time. The companies that are in the index will move in and out because think about industries that were really popular in, say, the 40s or 50s. There were like giant farm like conglomerates or whatever, right? Like tech companies didn't exist, really. Apple and like, you know, IBM came along, got added to the Dow Jones in the 70s or whatever. And then I think they got kicked out. And now like Apple at some point accounted for something like 20% of volume in the Dow Jones. But you Jones. didn't answer my question. My question is who cares then if it doesn't correlate with the economy? Isn't it just like sports? Looking at like the Great Depression, it's clearly related to the health of the economy. But is it though? Do we know for sure 100%? What if the stock market just, it ended and they were like no more stocks? Would we be okay? Yes, because the stocks represent real companies that manufacture real goods and products. Also, some of the major investors in stocks are pension funds. Most Americans who have a job that gives you a retirement fund invest in a mix of bonds and equities. So okay. generally, equities are riskier. They move more. So you'll often like uh, in a portfolio for retirement, it'll start out with a little, a few bonds and lots of equities. And then as you get older, it will shift to more bonds. A bond is basically you give a loan to a company and you get a fixed payback. And bonds generally are very stable and the terms are set when you buy the bond. What if I just like have money and I just hold on to it? I don't do anything with it. Isn't that good? Isn't that like the best? No that is, risk? That is one of the worst <laughs> things you could do. Why? <laughs> because inflation means over time, your money, if it just sits in a savings account, and currently the interest on a savings account is around 0.2% or something, it will depreciate over time. Over time, you it will be worth less because of inflation. Okay, so what stock should I invest in then? You should probably not invest in any individual stocks. You should instead buy uh, either a low oversight index fund, which just indexes the entire market, or you can get an exchange traded fund. So they're available. There's no fee to get an exchange traded fund. It's basically just set by some algorithm. So a good one is ITOT, which is total market, and it tracks this average of 1,500 companies. That's what uh, Warren Buffett does, right? No. That's, no? W Warren Buffett is an extremely activist investor who invests in individual companies. Well, he had this like bet, though. I feel like he had a bet where he was like, I will. He, he did like an index fund bet with someone. So often uh, a thing and people have to remember when the they bet. talk about returns from the market, though, is I actually had this conversation with my mom the other day because she was like, oh, yeah, my portfolio returned like 11% last year. It was pretty great. At the end of last year, she had 11% more money than she did at the start of the okay. year. Except the larger market did really well. At, right, We were recovering from coronavirus, sort of. Speak for yourself. The overall market went up 18% last year. So I was like, mom, your manager, like your investment manager did a bad job. If you had just put the money into an ETF and not touched it, you would have gotten an 18% return. Educate the children, the mother children. Robin uh, on Instagram has a good point where he, he mentions the uh, e 
stock market correlates with how many yachts rich people have. And a fun game to play is when you do read financial commentary, just substitute the word economy with the words rich people's yachts. Oh, cute. So when I you're like, like that. When you're like, everyone's going to get coronavirus. We have to go back to the office for the economy. It's like for rich people's yacht money. I love that. That's so cute. Okay. Thank you for answering that. I wanted to make oh. one other point because you said something very wise when you compared financial pundits or commentary to sports because that very much is what a lot of financial commentary is. Sports commentary is like two teams play. It's basically a weighted random variable. It's like rolling a die if one team wins or not. One team may be slightly favored because they're a little better. But any given game is mostly randomness. It's like a coin flip. Exact same thing with, with the overall stock market. The movement from day to day looks like this chart for a reason. It kind of it's called a random walk. And it, maybe it'll trend up over time. But their entire like television networks whose job is to generate a story based on these random numbers, just like ESPN does for sports. Work. Okay. So good. I, I, I was like worried. I was like, do I have to get into this? <laughs> do I, I was like, do I do I have to do I have to Rob, like start? Robin also sports? made a good point talking about Vanguard which is a, it's a company that like does a lot of retirement fund, like their brokerage. Um, so brokers buy stocks on your behalf or bonds on your behalf. Right. So that's what Warren Buffett was making a case against. He was like, don't, you don't need a broker, like just do the index fund. And I think he bet his like index fund bet was against like the Vanguard dude. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And, it, and the Vanguard dude was like, I'd take the, even though he lost the bet, he's like, I'd take it again. Because he thinks it's random that like... Yeah, Warren Buffett is probably pretty against activist investors. He himself is... Or activist, like active funds manager. He's rogue. He's very good at it. Warren Buffett has become a self-fulfilling prophecy now where if a company announces Warren Buffett has invested in the company, its stock will go up. What what privilege? It's called a halo effect. He basically can kind of print his own money. Whenever he invests in something, it will go up by virtue of him investing in it. Nice advantage to have, but he did earn that. Okay, so America's like doing pretty good. Oh, you're talking yeah. about in the history of post-World War II. Yes. So then there's the crash of 1987. I don't know if this has like a special name. I guess it's Black Monday. Yeah, what caused Black Monday? I mean, there's a the U.S. was like messing up their foreign affairs. So there was like the trade deficit. There was also the main thing was that a lot of the trades were like computer generated all of the algorithms were like, you need to sell everything like right now because like the Dow, I guess, like dipped down. And so they were like, sell, sell, sell. And it was kind of the same thing that happened in the 20s, except instead of people like selling these algorithms were like trying to sell all the stocks. So that happened again in 2010. The flash crash. On, on May 6th, right? 2010. Oh, no. Yeah. Was that the fl- yeah, the flash crash. The flash crash, except because high frequency trading had like picked up and tech had moved forward so far from the 80s, the flash crash happened in five minutes. Dow was already down 300 points on the day, and then five minutes, it lost another 600 points. So it dropped like 1,000 points, which I think was like 10% of its total value at the time. At first, they had a lot of trouble really tracking down what caused it. In the end, it turned out to be like several interlocking factors, but high-frequency trading played a big role in it. Do you know what high-frequency trading is? Trading that's happening very fast in a very short amount of time. So it's trades that can be, yeah, executed in milliseconds and generally executed with no intent to hold on to the stock. It's like basically quickly spotting like an arbitrage someplace in the market or some currency or something 
that is overvalued relative to where it should be and then quickly making a small amount of money by like buying and selling to fix that imbalance. So an example with like currency would be if we've got American dollars, say like Mexican pesos and I don't know, like Japanese yen. And it turns out that they're all a little out of balance. I can get slightly more pesos than like if I if I transition my money from dollars to pesos to yen and back to dollars, it turns out I could make a couple cents. Oh. An algorithm can execute that extremely that quickly. With the yen, right? That it like it it was like lower for like a moment and people were like, oh no. Well, there are different currency crises that happen. Uh, and that's a lot of that has to do with like exchange rates and the currency market, which is another thing you can choose to invest in. That's how famous Democratic backer George Soros made his fortune. Did you meet him? No, no, that was a different. Person. I've met okay. Mike Bloomberg. OK, so the dot com bubble, because now there's like the Internet. I was a little bit confused by this crash because I feel like so many scandals. like I feel like so much. We we're like, kind of hopping around in time here. Yeah, so I, I said I the last one is the Black Monday crash of 1987, and then the next one is the dot-com bubble. You missed the savings and loan crisis. Oh, I thought that was like kind of this. That's why I was like, is there a special name? Savings for and loan 19- crisis was like the mid-'80s, and it's basically a third of all of the savings and loan associations in the U.S. failed. This is a funny one because the Federal Reserve kind of backstops all the banks and generally tries to keep the economy and stock market humming along. The Federal Reserve is a bank that is the lender of last resort. They're the bank that other banks can go to. And the Federal Reserve, basically, like, they changed a major benchmark interest rate, and it made a bunch of the savings and loan companies insolvent. Basically, they had they had made these very long-term loans at, like, a fixed interest rate, and this benchmark rate changed, and suddenly they were like, wait, we can't pay back, like, the, they the were loans. Like, it's we we a can't crisis. make any more loans. We're losing oh, money. Oh, no. And it was, and a bunch of them were suddenly insolvent overnight, and some number of them just were like, oh, we're insolvent. Like, we need to fix this. And they, they either got, like, bailed out or they just, like, you know, canceled the loans or whatever they had to do to, like, close down the company. Some number of them engaged in, like, really wild, risky trades trying to, like, save the company. They were, they were like, instead went to the casino and they're like, we can make it back. Let's do it. Okay, that's the savings and loan crisis. The dot-com the doc bubble is, like, I like the dot-com bubble because half the ads you see on the New York City subway right now are for like business ideas that were developed in the late 90s as part of the dot-com bubble. The whole like subscription boxes or like Scentbird where you get like samples of colognes, like Trunk Club where they send you a bunch of clothes. The idea with the dot-com bubble is they're like, oh, everything's on the internet. There are all these internet business ideas. They really like couldn't be worked out in practice. Grocery delivery, they were like really set on. Oh, the 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. I think, mean, right? Like Amazon is still doing that. And yeah, there's like what gorillas and all these like fast delivery places yeah, around 10, New York 15 now. Minutes. That's yeah. Best. People have been trying to figure out that business model for over 20 years now. But it doesn't work. But then the stuff, but someone's like, some stupid person's like, oh, let's overvalue the stock. And then that gets everyone into trouble because the stock is not worth anything. And the or Grub, Grubhub and Seamless. Oh, there was Cosmo in the. I think it was like Cosmos, with like a K, like Cosmos was one of those like delivery. And this was like around Amazon, like it was around the time when like Amazon wasn't like the dominant thing. It was like Cosmos and like Amazon and like whatever Ask Jeeves. I don't know. A lot of those were like reasonable business ideas of those dot-com companies. They just like, it took Amazon to come along and really work out the logistics. The slave labor. 
and the gig economy and really like ripping off, yeah, your workers. Um, and like the minimum wage needed to be held flat for like a good decade so that you could, you could like a large uh, company could make money by exploiting their workers. But now all those factors have come together and it's a pretty reasonable business model. But in the, in the 2000, in, in 1999. In the late 90s, they, weren't, they couldn't pull it off. Yeah. So the, all the stocks were overvalued and they just amounted to like nothing. And then there were like so many scandals that like the 2001, oh my God, including 9-11, the biggest scandal of all. Okay. You're a native New Yorker, so I guess, I guess it's your joke to make. Yeah. Go for it. Well, because in like researching this, they always drop that they're like, something else happened that year, 9-11. Oh, okay. Just like, it actually didn't really have, I mean, it kind of had like a little bit, but it like... Oh, like, the, the economy definitely suffered. There was like a mini recession after 9-11 because like nobody would fly on an airplane for a year or so. So the housing bubble. So. We watched The Big Short. Yes. The Big Short is a great movie about people who decide to short the housing market and everyone thinks they're crazy because the housing market's like going crazy. The restrictions on like who could have a get a loan for a house were just like totally lifted so anyone could get a, a crazy loan with like very bad terms there was no real regulatory change it's just uh banks like home flipping kind of started to pick up and then banks kind of got into it and there were, they were banks they were, then had to they got competitive about like issuing more loans well, they so they lowered their standards for the loans like, because they used to ask you they used to you need paperwork and stuff like that to say, show what you made and and then they had these like they were called Nina loans, which was like no no income, no asset. So you didn't have to prove your incomes or, or your asset. You just wrote down what you made and they didn't ask for any proof. They were just like, okay. So on Planet Money, they, they argue that Federal Reserve tightened standards on a bunch of other speculative activity. They call it the like global pool of money. Wanted to invest in something that had a good rate of return. I guess Alan Greenspan, he announced we'll keep interest rates high. We're fighting inflation and we're not going to allow any like real speculative risky stuff. So the global pool of money was looking for somewhere where they could get a higher return. And it, they ended up settling on housing. So a lot of the banks lowered their standards for what it took to get a mortgage for your house. So like you said, the Nina loan, which is like no, no income, no loan. asset. You just said, OK, I make this much. How much and the mortgage would have a very high interest rate. So literally like on the first payment, the person would like default on their loan. No, they, they specifically right? made them adjustable rate mortgages, ARMs, for like the first three years, the interest rate would be like 1% or 2%. And then after three years, it would jump to 15%. But these people so shouldn't have had any loan at all that like they were defaulting even before it got insane. Like the, yeah, so yeah. people have made the point that there, right, there's two sides to every transaction, and the person taking out the loan is not a sophisticated banker who understands the ins and out of the mortgage market and how to evaluate the creditworthiness of a buyer. The person at the bank on the other side of the table who makes the loan does know all that stuff. So depending who you talk to back at that time, it was either poor people taking advantage of these poor banks by getting loans and mortgages they couldn't afford, or it was banks who knew way way more taking advantage of these poor people by trapping them in mortgages that they then couldn't pay off. So subprime, by the way, is a, a term that refers to the borrower. There's a prime borrower, which is somebody who has assets. Subprime would be an untrustworthy borrower, basically. But I think it's the fault of the 
like the data, the people who are supposed to be analyzing the data, because there was all this data that said that the housing market was just going to be fine. It was just going to keep going up. But no one like thought to no one thought to be like, oh, yeah, this data is from like before we were doing this. The other two factors were uh, the concept of securitizing a mortgage, which is taking a whole bunch of mortgages, say like several hundred of them or even thousands, bundling them together into a security that could be a stock or something you could invest in, and then selling that off, selling shares of that thing. So it turned out that some mortgages ended up being owned by, say, hundreds or thousands of different owners because they'd been securitized and like diced up and spread out. But the argument was if you pooled all those uh, mortgages together, say they were from like different areas of the country. So they were like, well, you know, maybe there will be a housing crisis or some issue down they in Florida, laundered. but it'll be okay like in California, like the whole housing market can't go down. The loans were like laundered, basically. They were they were like alchemized. Yeah. So by doing that, they were able to achieve really good credit rating or credit agencies would give them good ratings. So AAA is like the best rating you can get and generally a mortgage to a trustworthy borrower or like a fund that's composed of those mortgages is AAA rated, which is the safest thing you can invest in. They would package together a bunch of very risky mortgages, securitize them, like dice them up, I guess. And then there also was competition among the ratings agencies. There's a real conflict of interest there because the bank pays the rating agency to rate their securities. Not good. Yeah. And so the rating agency, if they give you a bunch, if they're like, no, this is like C, like this is a, a garbage like security. It's very risky. We're not going to give it a good rating. The bank would be like, okay, well, we're going to go to, and I think there's only four ratings agencies. So the bank would just be like, well, I'm just going to go to somebody else and they will give it a good rating. We're, and there were like the smarmy trader dudes who were like, they were like trading these, these like little loan zombie pieces around and they were making tons of money. Well, yeah, so those those various securitized uh, mortgages, these guys would then, to sell them, they would call around to every other investment bank and be like, do you want to buy this like securitized package of mortgages? They're really hot right now. And they would call until somebody agreed to buy them. And then Bear Stearns, I, ironic, the bear. The bear the By the way, w- one thing that that also did enable a lot of this is the U.S. housing market is unique in that Fannie Mae and Freddie, uh, Mac. and Freddie Mac are two formerly private companies that are very large that issue mortgages and their mortgages are backstopped by the government to some extent. So, and generally the idea is that they can issue mortgages at a lower rate and it encourages Americans to buy houses. The American dream. If a borrower defaults on a mortgage, the deal that they had is more or less the U.S. government would make them whole. So it made a lot of those mortgages appear to be safer on the books of uh, those two companies. And then Bear Stearns was like, hey, you guys, we have like a ton of losses, so we're going to like fold or whatever. And that started the, the crumble. The, People were like, oh, no. And then uh, Lehman Brothers, the government allowed them to fail. They did not bail them out. Both to make an example, and I think they were hoping that it wouldn't spread to other companies, that maybe Lehman Brothers was a one-off, really mismanaged bank. And it turned out it wasn't. Every bank had made these same, like, very stupid loans. A final thing that contributed to this is that uh, in the 70s or 80s, Congress passed this law called the Glass-Steagall Act. And it said if investment banks and banks that people deposit money into, the activities have to be separate. So that if the investment bank itself screws up, everyday people who are invested and just like have their checking accounts there or whatever, don't also lose everything and become insolvent. They tried to separate the banking system from investment banks. Glass-Steagall got repealed in the 90s. 
And so I was that also say, that led to good. you can't let an investment bank fail if it has the deposits of like millions of people. And the most recent crash was the coronavirus crash. And we don't really need to. I mean, the coronavirus happened. So the Duh. stock market. Duh. Like ugh, we don't need to explain. Um, it's it's doing better now, though. I've I've I hear. Yeah, it's worth noting that the economists talk about recovering from a recession is like a V-shaped recovery, which is the coronavirus recovery and why inflation is so bad and there's supply chain issues right now is demand recovered very quickly. In a lot of cases, demand didn't even drop. So there's a, a whole problem in the car oh, market the right now. Paper. And the chip shortage. That's right. You got to go back to work on making those chips. I don't make chips. I work in software. Didn't but you invent a chip? I did make they, a chip. The world needs you. It was my old life. There's a chip shortage right now because automakers in spring of 2020 canceled a bunch of orders going forward. As you can imagine, like demand for streaming stuff and for laptops and people to work at home went up. But when when the automakers canceled all their, their orders, basically it takes like several months to get a chip assembly line up and running. And it turned out demand didn't really drop that much. It just dropped for a couple months. Everybody got their stimmy checks and suddenly stimmy. it was back. Uh, They're panini, panini yeah. stimmies. Yeah, vaccine came out pretty quickly, and oh, a people... lot of demand actually shifted too. So a lot of people also assume like the, they're like, oh, the housing market's going to be screwed. Nobody's going to leave their home. Nobody's going to want to move during a pandemic. Oh, yeah. Everyone moved. They work remote. They do that. Only fans on their new computer. Instead, everybody moved and started working remote. And everybody started doing home improvement projects and building. Timber. Like, this is a good time to they build a new deck. Timber. Yeah. So lumber shot up like 10x. And it's caused all these dislocations in the economy, which hopefully will smooth out over the next couple of years. But right now it sucks. Yeah. I'm trying to buy sheet metal to install an HVAC system. Oh, sheet. <laughs> Yeah. Let's talk about the scandals. Okay, a scandalo. Okay, so what is a Ponzi scheme? Like, real quick. Ponzi scheme is where you basically get some initial investors in something, and you then get more investors, and you take some of the money from the new investors and give it to your first tier of investors so that you can show you have profits on, like, the investment. And then it becomes self-perpetuating because then, like, you need to get a third tier of investors so that you can give some money to the second tier of investors to show that, like, you're still returning a profit. Because the thing, the actual thing that everyone thinks they're investing in is not making any money. Yeah, pretty much. Overall, the whole enterprise is running at a loss, and it's really just being funded through the money of the people who join up. This is also how pyramid schemes work. Okay, but pyramid schemes, though, actually, you can make money. Let's not call them a scheme. It's a pyramid strategy. Because, like, think about Avon. It's called multi-level marketing. Yes, or, like, Avon, or, like, there's some some companies, actually, they, when you get in early, you do actually get, like, a large portion of it. You can make money in a Ponzi scheme, too. But I think it's more of a scheme. It's more of like a fraud because you're lying. But like a pyramid, you're kind of like being open with everyone. I feel like a pyramid. For, for multi-level marketing to not get shut down, like Herbalife or whatever, didn't actually get shut down by the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, because there was ostensibly a product that you were selling, which is herbs, I guess. David Cho's to mom people. Yeah. is like a Herbalife millionaire. Right. But her millions come from membership fees paid by people who have to sign up for the Herbalife license, which is what makes oh, because it a pyramid she, were, she got like a lot of referrals. She was in early. Yeah. Her, most of the people who make money make it through referrals. So not so different from a Ponzi scheme. The Ponzi scheme, though, is specifically a fake investment where the payouts are coming from new people joining the fund. Who is this Ponzi character? Yeah, it's funny because he just, before him, it was just a scheme, I guess. I don't know. 
It, Ponzi schemes are named after him. So he had the securities exchange company and it was actually like, it was this, this, this like little loophole that he discovered with like stamps and like foreign stamps. Is he a British guy? 1920. No, no it's like, oh, he, it was American. like a, it, he was American, but he like discovered, you know, like the value of stamps was like, everyone was like doing weird mail fraud back then. Cause that was like boring. But it was just that he promised returns of 50% in 45 days, which is like wild. So he ha- he couldn't get that return. Maybe for him he could, but he couldn't get it for the investors. So he had to like get it from the other favorite. investors. By the way, my yeah, favorite investors. writer about finance, uh, Matt Levine, who writes for Bloomberg. You can sign up for his newsletter and get it free. He's very funny. He has a great like finance 101 problem. If you come to me and I'm like, okay... I have a great investment for you. Over 90 days, I can give you a 10% return based on like your investment of $10,000. Or I have another investment and I can give you a 15% return over 120 days. Which investment should you take? Wait, what, what was the The answer first is neither of them. Neither because, because if somebody offers good. you a 10 or 15% return over 90 days, they're going to keep all of your money and steal it. It's a scam. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say whichever one is the worst deal, that's the one I should take. That's why I was yeah. like trying to figure it the out. The answer is neither. You should run away. Yeah, nobody ever it... gets ten percent return. <sighs> yeah. See, I was I was trying to figure out which one was the worst deal. Are they the same deal? I'm bad at math. It's a little bit of a trick question, I suppose. But... Well, I was trying to pick the worst because I knew the answer was like, don't pick a deal that sounds too good to be true. You might know about Jordan Belfort from a movie called Wolf of Wall Street. So he had his company Stratton Oakmont, which just sounds like a fake company. He purposely picked something that would sound like a... A wealthy. A wealthy, like, investment bank. Yeah. Or a law firm. They sound kind of like a law firm. Yeah, they just sound expenny. So it was the pump and dump scheme where they would buy these penny stocks that were, like, not um, public, and they would they would drive up the price of the stocks, and then they would just, like, dump them and the stock obviously would plummet in well, value. They were, they were public, but they weren't listed on like the New York Stock Exchange because they're like not valuable enough. So, so they're in. It's called the pink sheets because they right. publish them it, on yeah, pink paper. Yeah, there's a scene in the in the movie where he like can only get a job selling the the penny stocks, but then he gets really good at it. <laughs> there's all these lessons here too. So this one is like, if someone calls you about a stock that sounds too good to be true. Run for the hills, which I'm like, if anyone calls me about a stock stock. in general, period, Uh, goodbye. Excuse me. If someone calls me. If someone calls me, (laughs) scams likely. I don't think so. Blocked. You better just Instagram video chat me and that's it. The only trustworthy. All right. Let's just talk about Enron because it's it's amazing. When did Enron happen? I mean, it's it had been happening since like the 80s, I guess. But oh, they, they got caught. Long running scandal. Yeah, the lo- they were in it for the long game. They got caught in. What is Enron? Like 2004. It was an energy company. They're like an energy broker. They would buy and sell electricity between different states. Well, but they. they and I think they also own some oil fields. They, but I, I say was because they were an energy company and they were Houston Natural Gas Company in 1985. Yeah. Um, and then they expanded. And they were like, let's deregulate. They were like, everyone should be able to make their own energy. So let's like just deregulate it, which is like, that's red flag number one. Because they were like, yeah, let's have no regulators for this formally regulated like resource. That's like a red flag. Right. And then 
they decide to rename themselves and they come up with the name Enron. I think there was another name that sounded, it sounded like some sort of disease that was like related to Enron, but they settled on Enron because they were like, sweet, it's uh, very vague. So there's An- Andrew Fastow is the CEO. He's like, what if we got into the internet? Just and tell me, what was their scandal? What'd they do? Their scandal was that they used like mark to market accounting to say that they were making like a ton of money when they weren't like, I guess we should explain what mark to market because there's like a couple of things that happen. So they use mark to market accounting, which is like when you are speculative about your income, but it's recorded as the truth. So mark to market is supposed to be an honest way to do bookkeeping where if I have some asset that is like kind of hard to value, like, I don't know, performing arts space or whatever. Yeah. For my investors and people following along or whatever as I'm doing stuff, I should track the value of the thing. And the way to do it is to figure out something comparable that's in the market or that recently was bought or sold and then somehow figure out how that matches the price of my thing. They do You do that on your taxes sometimes when you, they're like, you bought a computer this year. Do you want to like do the taxes on the full value of the computer or do you want to like That's basically- more like an asset depreciation schedule, but- Okay. Yeah, mark to market. It's it's similar. It's like you're like okay, this thing will. The mark cost. to market gives you room to lie because you can have a bunch of assets and you can sort of lie about what's comparable to them that's currently on the market or that they should be valued as comparison against, and therefore inflate the value or like claim that the thing is worth less. It's like if you buy me and I'm only worth fifty dollars, but you're like Ariel is worth a billion dollars. Well, I'm like, who's a comparable aerialist out there and what are their rates? That's what the market is. Right. Not only do they use mark-to-market accounting, they also are retroactive about it. They're like, okay, so we started using mark-to-market accounting, but we're going to retroactively cook our books because like, we changed our marketing. So they did that. That was like stage one of the deception. And then they also used their use the like the price of their stock the value of their stock to falsely like represent the value of their company i thought they actually just committed fraud like they well lied to california about who they were selling electricity to and caused a bunch of blackouts yes this came later when they they because they were desperately trying to fill this hole because that's the thing every year with this every year it's kind of like a sort of like a the way a Ponzi scheme gets out of hand where you're like, okay, we made this one lie, but now next year we have to show growth again, even though they didn't have, they had a loss, but they said that they had growth. And then the next year they would have to show more growth to still be getting like income off of their stock. How do you lose money as an energy company? It seems like that should be Well, because they weren't doing (laughs) that anymore. Like it, it, like their original business they weren't like really in it anymore they were just frantically trying to fill this void um they got into lots of like dumb things like they tried to do this streaming service in the 90s with blockbuster which obviously like they were way ahead of yeah that's like a great idea there just was there we didn't have the technology and there wasn't like broadband internet to do it and like people didn't have phones that you know, 5G wasn't around yet. So they were like, Couldn't this is a genius, you know, billion it really, dollar it idea. It really is. It's just like 20 years ahead of its time. And so that was not profitable, but they had to show like, oh, that's making money. That's All so of funny. our things. Blockbuster could have been Netflix. So what one of the things they were doing to like 
keep any money coming in, which is like there was just like so much money like not coming in and so much so many things just being falsified. It was they would it, California was supposed to produce their own energy and if they didn't produce enough energy then they would have to buy it very expensive from like another state. So they would cause these like blackouts and they would say, oh, California, you didn't make produce enough energy. But they, it was just them like turning the power off. So Enron would ship, they'd secretly ship the electricity to Arizona and be like, sorry, California, you guys fell short of your quota. You're going to have to buy it from Arizona. But they we'll would, handle the transaction. They, they, would they would sell it to Arizona it and then have California buy it back. So they would make a profit off of it like three times. But again, this was literally just like trying to fill the holes and they, they really couldn't fill those holes fast enough. Yeah. So normally an auditor would catch this. And this led to the demise of Arthur Anderson. It used to be in America, there were the big five accounting firms and now it's the big four dun, dun, dun. because Arthur, Arthur Anderson imploded after this happened. Because if you're an auditor and you help a multi-billion dollar company get away with fraud for a couple decades, you it really about to lose your job. It hurts your reputation and people won't let you audit their books anymore. I told you my uncle used to work for Arthur Anderson, not in the Enron Energy Trading Division. And he testified at the trial as an example of how Arthur Anderson, like their standard practices when they were like being honest, he like gave an accounting of like how his department was run. And he said not very well. Oh no, they were doing great. Ben Newhouse, upstanding gentleman, great accountant. I mean, they they were great accountants. They told them they well, okay. So the, they were like burned. No, Arthur Anderson like totally let them get away. They, with I mean, lying they were great accountants. Like fake, They're the accountants. Yeah, you would want to have in a situation like this. They they helped them shred all their documents too. There were over I think three tons of paper they had to get rid of. There were all these like it was a very it was very complicated. I mean, it was very like. They would sometimes like send their money to think the, of the paper mache they could have made. Of. Right. They could have done something. They could have made energy with all pinatas. the sh- Yeah. With all the pinata, the pinata hitting. So there were a bunch of different like whistleblowers in the company, but they actually it, it was like in Rosemary's Baby where like you realize she can't trust anyone like they were like, oh, yeah, sure. Well, we'll look into this. And they would just call like Arthur Anderson to do to like look into <laughs> You know, the things. But then in March 2001, there's an article by Bethany McLean in the Fortune magazine. And it's it's just like, is Enron overpriced? And she's just trying to find out how they make money because they she doesn't under no one knows. And there's a guy quoted in the article that's like, if you find out, let me know. So that starts the the downfall. That's like shortly after that. That's when all the papers have to be shredded uh, then, like, the main guy resigns, and then they file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and, and uh, everyone has a day to get out. They're just like, goodbye, everyone. And then Playboy, the real hero of the story, comes out with the women of Enron. <laughs> That's how that scandal ends. Do you have any others? Oh, yeah, I have a lot more. The Martha Stewart, she does, like, an insider trading scandal. Yeah, Martha Stewart went to prison. She did. How did she insider trade? There, there's a she was she had stocks um, in in this company called Imclone, which was like a biochemical company. Her broker found out that that the FDA was not going to approve the drug that they were coming out with. He found out like a day early. He didn't like say that to her. He was just like, "Hey, everyone 
in Imclone is like selling their stock. Do you want me to sell your thing? And uh, and she was like, yes. It really wasn't, it was very difficult to prove that like she knew like what she knew or didn't know, but they got her because she lied to like cover it up. Mm. So it was really on the- It's, ch- not, it's not the original crime. It's the cover up. Exactly. Okay, yeah. So if you just tell the truth- the SEC is it's okay. Is quite good at catching insider trading. Also, to go back to Matt Levine, he likes to say insider trading, and this is counterintuitive for a lot of people. Insider trading is not about fairness; it's about theft. It's about stealing information that you get illegally, right? That you shouldn't have had. So, it's not insider trading if you trade on your own intentions or on your own company. He cites Warren Buffett, right? Warren Buffett will invest in a company then announced that he invested in the company and it goes up 10%. And Warren Buffett just traded on information that none of us had, which is not fair. But that's not insider trading because He's it's, inside not, himself. it's not about fairness. There's fraud. You can't say something that's completely false or announce something completely false on Twitter, as Elon Musk likes to do, that moves your stock price. That's bad. That's fraud. That will get you in a lot of trouble with the SEC. However, at this point, Elon Musk has so much crazy stuff on Twitter that it's like questionable if it really can count as a relevant financial statement. So yeah, it's more about the the theft of information. Martha Stewart or her broker should not have had that information because it belonged internal to the company. Oh, I guess yeah, it was before they went public with the information. I'm also like, if you see the, if he like saw the people, like the owners in that company, like trading, and he told her, I, I don't know. I feel like that's, that's also not like the worst, but it's it's she was also like on the board. Are you going to talk about Theranos? Because mm. Elizabeth Holmes, her trial just ended. Did you know that? No. Is she guilty? She was found guilty on four of 11 counts of fraud. Another crazy thing about U.S. securities law is that she didn't get in trouble for the like the blood having people take blood tests at like Walgreens or wherever they had their partnership and lying to them and like telling them they had major like health issues when it turned out the blood tests were total garbage that's not what she got in trouble for she got in trouble for lying to investors insider trading law in america has has become kind of a catch-all for enforcement against any company that does something bad if a company does something bad and then it's stock it doesn't mention that and its stock goes down then all the investors can say hey you didn't tell us that you did the bad thing and your stock went down that's securities fraud they she also lied about her voice too she did. Yeah, that was very misleading that her voice was not that deep. Mm-hmm. They <laughs> or if a company has uh, their CEO sexually harasses somebody. Which is like and, every company. So yeah, come on. and I the mean, company doesn't an, the company doesn't announce it. And then two months later, it comes out the CEO harassed somebody and the stock goes down. Or even if it doesn't go down, some enterprising attorney out there will sue on behalf of the investors. And it's very easy to account for the damages and prove that some harm was done. Whereas, like, you know, the women who were being sexually harassed or denied promotions or whatever we're things men, happened to we're them. Non binaries. They're arguably the real victims here, but it's very hard to prove those damages. And those trials will take a long time and you have to have witnesses and everything else. It's Where like securities the, fraud is much easier to prove. It's like the period underwear lady. She sexually harassed her, her like employees and, yeah, and it fucked up her stock. I feel her company isn't public yet. So it probably just hurt the valuation. They're very. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope they're not public. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then there's like Bernie Madoff. I think he's the last like scandal. And then we'll talk about the GameStop. Bernie Madoff. Something he's a Madoff. classic, classic Ponzi scheme. I, I kind of feel bad for him. You like, you think he's a sympathetic figure because he looks kind of. He's kinda, so old. 
He's yeah. so old, and I just feel like he... He reminds you of Bernie Sanders, and you have a grandfatherly affection I mean, he, yeah, I mean, he's just like, because, okay, because he like folded so quickly, like, I really feel like, because he totally had a legit business that was like good and making money and like he did not need this Ponzi scheme and I feel like it just got away from him. He got and it then, over his head. But it took so much work to keep it up and I feel like it was just exhausting him and then when... I think it was 2008, right? When that happened, like, I think he was so relieved for it all to be over. It's a shame because 2008 would have been a great excuse for him to be like, oh, we had like serious losses this year and it's everything's totally wiped out. And he could have like maybe written off like that he'd been not making all the money that he said for like so much before that. Here's the the funny things. Also, like Ponzi original, he, his thing was like a male. It was like a male scam, kind of, because... He would, you know, you need to show people the receipts like of like he was like an investing like company or whatever. You're in a fund. You're in a fund. And so a bunch of people would give him money and he would manage it for them in the fund and tell them that he was getting really like like, impressive returns that were like very market beating. And he did it for like a decade and just nobody has a track record that good. Well, he would send them. So that people would ask, they would want to audit. They'd be like, can you show me what the trades were that you did? that got this return. And you said he would go backdate it and he would be like, okay, well, let's just say that I had bought on this date when the stock was very low and then sold when it was very high and this other stock. And and he would run the numbers and it was like, I don't know how you had that insight, but he like, if he had made those trades when he said that he made them, he would have made that much money. And then he would mail it to the person and they were like, can you do like electronic? He was like, no, like we, we mail, we mail only. That way it could be like a couple of days To back. buy him time to put the report together. Yeah, and it was in the lipstick building on like 3rd Avenue. And on one of the floors of the building, there was like the legit company where his sons and like his family worked or whatever. And then in like the other floor, it was like the not legit company. It was like, what is what is a, a true Hollywood New York story? He told his sons, he was like, everything was going to shit in like 2008. He was like, yeah, I can't like... There's, I've been scamming everyone, and his sons like immediately reported him to the FBI. Can we talk about Martin Shkreli really quickly? Who is that? Shkreli is the guy who, uh, not too long, he's in prison right now, but in like 2014, 2015, he was like a hedge fund guy. He started his own fund. He invested heavily in a biomedical company, and stuff didn't go well. And then he took all of his investors' money without telling them and invested in some other really speculative stuff. And it actually worked. The roulette wheel landed on double zero. He like actually got all the money back and made them all whole. But he still was like indicted for fraud because he was li- he lied to all of his investors. And at the height of his like making money, because he's like a huge troll and really obnoxious guy on the internet too. So everybody wanted to see him fall. He bought the Wu-Tang Clan's album, Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, Wu-Tang Clan issued arguably the first ever NFT. Wu-Tang Clan issued an album that they made only one copy of, and he bought it. But Gag. Then he, well, then he went to prison, so now the U.S. government it. the U.S. government owns it. He's still in prison. But, We're uh, listening to it with all the, the confiscated weed. But it's kind of a shame, and it's wild that like he, he if nobody had really paid attention, he could have pulled it off and gotten his investors' money back. Well, I thought he did. Oh, sorry, without, without going to prison. Okay. I was like... <laughs> You know, he would do stuff like he just wouldn't answer emails for like six oh, well, months while yeah. he was like trying to make it whole to like fix it. Bernie, he would give people their money, you know, before everything crashed. He actually would 
give you know he would give people their money when they wanted to like go on there were some celebrities in there and they like wanted to go on vacation or something and they were like hey i need money and he would like take it out and give it to them oh no he would issue that's like a key part of a ponzi scheme is you have to pay some people out at the value that like you say you're paying them out and he would do it he would fund it through the new money that was coming into the fund and he had such a good record because of his other company and he was just like such a golden boy that no one no one like suspected ill of him. And he also, if you asked like how he did it or how he knew, like he wouldn't let you in the the scheme. So yeah, if you asked too many questions, they would kick you out of the fund. Yeah. And if you have, people wanted that, that fund. Okay. So should we talk about GameStop? Yeah. Let's finish up. We'll talk about meme stocks. Okay. And GameStop and AMC and Hertz. Well, okay. So I feel like GameStop's the funniest one because... It's, okay. It became a real like symbol and of I, things. So, by the way, Hertz is arguably the first meme stock because that was in summer of 2020. And Hertz is funny because Hertz went bankrupt because of coronavirus. No one was renting cars. Hertz has a lot of fixed costs with their fleet of cars they to were maintain hurting. them. They were hurting. Uh, so they declared bankruptcy so they could restructure. And in bankruptcy, the shareholders who own stock in the company are the last people paid off. Every other debtor gets lined up before them and gets paid out once they like you know, resell all the cars that Hertz has or whatever. But because of Wall Street bets and retail investing and Robinhood, the app, which makes it very easy and game-like to trade on your phone, has driven this huge rise in retail investing. So people who normally wouldn't create a Fidelity or a Meritrade account to invest in stocks, it's super easy to do. You can start with a credit card on your phone and go on Robinhood and they like will push stocks to you and be like, do it, buy whatever. Here's Apple, here's Tesla, like here's what's going on. But also the Reddit, Wall Street bets. Yes. They're like big players in the meme stocks because it's like a lot of, it is a lot of like Bernie bro. Speaking of the other Bernie, it's a lot of like slang and like jargon, you know, people who are, they call it YOLOing, which is just like you take your entire life savings and you put it into like some, some ridiculous YOLO some stock. trade. Yeah. They're like going to YOLO my 401k into like GameStop today. Although I think a lot of people on Wall Street bets like YOLOing is like throw $5,000 at something. It's not. Okay. So October. Have you seen what Robin Hood looks like? It looks like our friend Robin. I don't know. Oh, that. It's like okay. cute and colorful. It looks fun. I don't like it. Got lots of charts. There's no, there's no chinchillas on there. I don't. <laughs> there's no cats. There's, they do have little emojis in all their messages. I don't like it. It looks, it looks, I don't like it. It has numbers in it. I don't like it. It's not my face and there's numbers. For some, for some, it might look, for some, it might be amusing. Okay, so GameStop. And in October 2020, there's this uh, person on Wall Street Bets and their name, their username is Player896. They make make the case that GME, which is GameStop's like trading thing, that they could get into a short squeeze, which is, do you want to explain what a short squeeze is? So, So by the way, around this time, GameStop, the company we remember from shopping malls, that would buy and sell used video games in the 90s and 2000s wasn't doing too well as a company. They're like kind of stuck and like that's what they do. But retail businesses aren't doing well. People can buy and sell games elsewhere or buy on Amazon or now you just go on like Steam and can get the game and download it. So GameStops haven't been doing too well. A lot of malls have been closing across America. Their stock's at about $5 and nobody really thinks it's going to go up. In fact, it is the number one shorted stock at that time. And that means a bunch of, they're called institutional investors, large investment banks primarily, uh, have effectively borrowed a lot of shares to then sell 
with a promise to them by them, you know, three months from now because they think it, the stock's going to continue dropping. They think that GameStop is going out of business, basically. But they're treating it as if it already has gone out of business and it hasn't. And Particularly player- because coronavirus is going on now, too. So, so people traffic to like retail stores has dropped even further. So player 896 is like if one, if people start investing in it, that'll like drive the price of the stock up, right? So that's like number one. But also the short squeeze is if then all of these, you know, the the price goes up, then all the people who have the short on it, they have to like the interest is going to keep going up. So they have to like buy it back and the price is going to be higher. So that's going to drive the price up even more. So with the when you've made the short because you borrowed the stock and immediately sold it and you have promised to buy it back within generally like a month, you've promised that you will buy it back. If it seems like the stock is going up very quickly, your losses are potentially unlimited because you will have to buy the stock at whatever insane price it ends up at. And you really don't want to be caught at whatever it's going to be in a month. So often you exit your short position. So you just immediately buy the stock at whatever it is. Take your losses. You take the loss. But because you just bought the stock at that inflated price... It drives the price up further. And and especially if lots of short sellers are all exiting their positions at once, they're all trying to force to buy the stock, which drives it up further. Yes. So he uh player eight nine six says if the stock gets up to fifteen dollars a share, that will like that will start that will start the the short squeeze, right? He said if it can if it can get up to there, that's like the the minimum that it has to get to. So in January twenty twenty one, this is a couple months later. There's this guy, Ryan Cohen, who he's like the former owner of Chewy, which is like the online pet uh, company. So he had like a similar thing happen with Chewy where he like, you know, it was like a low value company and then he like pushed it up in a similar way and then sold it and he's like wealthy. He's kind of a turnaround king. He he came into Chewy and like managed to reorganize the company and make them like lean and more competitive in the the space of selling dog toys online right so the price the price of GameStop has actually already been going up uh ryan cohen getting named to gme like that really pushed it and the the price went to 40 dollars a share now we're cooking and you know that can i real quick jump in with some of the relative numbers on average the stock value of a company if you take all of the stock shares multiply it by the value of those shares that would be the total value of the company and generally for a typical standard average company, that number is 15 times their yearly profit. So there's a whole like, it's called price to earnings ratio. And the average price to earnings ratio for a company is 15. GameStop at, I think, like the stock price that would reflect their what their actual earnings were at this time was around $5. So when it goes up to 40, it's clearly like overvalued compared to like what money they're making. That basically is the market saying, we think they're going to do something amazing that will increase the value of this company by eight times what it currently is. And clearly they are, so there you go. Okay, so then there's this guy, Andrew Left. He has this company called Citron. I guess it's like a hedge fund. And he had a huge short against GameStop. He's like an older dude. Like, I don't know. He like posts all these really funny videos where he's like, GameStop is going back to $20 a share. Like it is definitely going down. And then he's like, also whoever's ordering pizzas to my house and signing me up for Tinder, you can stop. <laughs> yeah. So imagine if you're a short seller and you think GameStop doesn't have any fundamentals. There's no reason its stock should be this high. You might hold on to your short position. If you don't have to close it out for a month, you'd be like, well, let's wait because I know it's going to drop again. It can't stay at this price forever. And not only that, I'm going to buy even more. I'm going to short it even more because now it's at 40. 
And I know it's going to drop back to five. Yeah. So, so it ends up not. I'll double down on my short. And what's the worst that could happen? It goes, well, it actually ends up going up of like the highest I think it ever got to was like 400, maybe $400. 400. But like this dude, um, Andrew left, he, he dumped it at like 90, which was, that was smart. And, and he still, it's really funny though. Cause the videos that he makes, he's like, they're so embarrassing. Like he doesn't have to, he's basically they're at cringy. the, at the end of them. He's like, please, you can stop like prank calling my house and like hitting on my wife. To be clear, it's not like he bought it at 40 and it dropped to 20 and he lost 50% of his investment. He shorted it at 40 or He shorted it at like five. At five yeah. and it went to 90. So he just lost $85 per share that he did it on. So it's not that like he had some pool of money and it's worth less than it was before. He just lost a huge amount of money. And people, he's like, the last video that he posted is, he's like, people have been asking me if Citron's okay. And he's like, it's fine. It's never, he's like, it's never been better. He's like, actually, it's not so great, but like, I'm okay. Did Citron go bankrupt? (laughs) No, it didn't go, but he was basically like, it's okay, but like, you know, stop asking me how I am. I forget which hedge funds it was, but there were a couple hedge funds that were also in heavy short positions and they had to be effectively bailed out and basically taken over by other hedge funds because they became insolvent. And so when it's like the stock is like super high, there's this the sea shanty that we used. That yeah, is- because sea shanties were also very popular last March. Mm-hmm. At the same time GameStop was happening, a bunch of Wall Street Bets investors invested in AMC for similar reasons. Nostalgia and a sort of counterintuitive bet that this company will survive coronavirus. GameStop was really funny because the board seemed totally taken aback by what had happened. Matt Levine kept writing about this. And he was like, when your stock is at 400 and it's like insane valuation. You feel responsible. What do you do as CEO? Because you own a bunch of, like he kept saying, he'd be like, there are real humans involved who run little retail stores in malls around America that are buying and selling video games, you know, and it has like 1500 branches or whatever. That company is now worth like $50 billion. <laughs> like more so crazy. Worth, like, and so like, what do you do if you're the CEO of that company? Do you come out and be like, thank like, you. So for a lot of like for a while, GameStop's like CEO did not say anything. And then GameStop finally did the reasonable thing. Uh, and they issued more stock because your stock is super over- overvalued. A company can always sell you can kind of generate as much stock as you want infinitely. So they, they got sold better more cutouts stock. too. They made a lot of money off selling the stock and then they recruited new board members and it's become sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy where maybe it will potentially like work out. By the way, Hertz, which I mentioned in 2020, these people were buying and selling shares of a totally bankrupt company, Hertz, and they were last in line to be paid as creditors, as the stockholders. Nobody thought they would make any money. And Hertz tried to do a stock offering at that time, too. And the SEC wouldn't let them. The SEC was like, no, it's, this is only ignorant people who are buying your stock. They should not be buying stock in a bankrupt car, like rental car company. And stopped it, which is actually kind of unfair and unsporting because the rules of the market are such that you should let Were people Were you one of these it. people? I did not try to buy Hertz. The, thing, the funny thing is, Hertz ended up working out. Hertz came out of bankruptcy like back in the spring of last year and is solvent again because the rental car market recovered and the stock, the people who bought stock when it was like a couple pennies or whatever made a lot of money off of that investment. So the SEC actually kept people from making money off of what turned out to be a pretty smart investment. You seem pretty worked up for someone who didn't (laughs) try to buy it. I didn't try to buy it, but I thought it was very funny. 
I mean, I was going to say about GameStop. There's a GameStop like right near us and it's, it looks the same. Like I'd be checking it out and I'm like, hmm? um, uh, I don't I don't see any changes. I will say AMC, their CEO has gotten really into being a meme stock because they got yes. heavily invested in. So AMC, they were like, we're going to issue an NFT related. We're going to start accepting cryptocurrency to like go see movies. They bought a lot of theaters too. A lot of theaters that did go under, they bought like a ton of them. So a lot of movie theaters, if you go back to it, it's now an AMC. It's now an a- AMC, but they tried to like they tried to sneak in there and just be like, "Oh no, it's still your neighborhood movie theater." And there's like a secret AMC like little logo situation. But the CEO of AMC clearly knows that like they are a meme stock that's overvalued because he keeps saying meme stuff on Twitter and in earnings announcements. So he was like, "We're going to set up electrical vehicle charging stations, and you'll be able to charge your Tesla in front of the AMC." And like the stock like went up. So it's like totally ridiculous stuff. And arguably, by the way, Tesla is a meme stock. And they're a real company that sold. I don't think it's arguable. I think there's definitely sure. a meme stock. Well, Tesla sold a million electric cars last year. So they certainly sell a product in a very profitable company. Tesla's stock price is probably untethered from the actual value of Tesla because Elon Musk says funny it's things awesome. on Twitter. Yeah. Because he's going to the moon. Should we say, should we finish with like the jargon? Well, one thing we didn't talk about was options trading, which is also what drove the price of the meme stocks up so much. Just a quick aside, an option trade, in case you hear about it, an option trade, you can buy a call or a put. And an option trade is, I basically say to you, right, Aerialist stock is at $10. Okay. Right? And and there's millions of shares out there. (laughs) But I I say to you, like, okay, and you're a broker, I'm like, okay, I want to buy Aerialist stock at... $15 next week. And you're like, well, my stock is going up. So I think that's very likely. So I'm not going to give you a good deal on that option, right? But let's say it was GameStop. And so your broker is like, it's at $5. And you're like, I want the option to buy GameStop at $20 next week. That's an out of the money call option. Okay. Right. I I want to buy GameStop. And your broker will be like, there is no way GameStop will be at $20 next week. I will give you that option for five cents. Oh, I see. Okay. It turns out a week from now, GameStop is at 40 and my broker has given me a promise that they will give me a share of it for $20. So for only $5 in option fee, I can now make $20 on that trade by GameStop going up. And not only that, when I placed that option for $5, my broker had to go buy a share of GameStop. This so sucks that they for would... your broker. Potentially, yes. Sorry, sorry to this man. <laughs> Granted, the broker is very good presumably, at pricing options. So they're not going to lose money from it because they have run the risk profile and they know what to price the options at. And granted, if GameStop like is not, if it, let's say it's below $20 next week, the option's worthless. I'm not even going to exercise it. So I've just given away five, you know, my money for the option. Okay. So that's the bet. <laughs> that's why with only placing that order for five cents for an option that's an out-of-the-money call option, I forced my broker to go buy GameStop and that... Right. Oh, so that's another thing that drove the if price I, up. If okay. I place millions of those orders across all of Wall Street bets, that will further drive the price up. So that, yeah, that is an. So a lot of people pointed to. Generally, it's very only like experienced traders who work for a brokerage can place options trades. Robinhood made it part of the app, so that was a thing that really changed in the entire like in the market over like that's part of what drove meme stocks. Suddenly, retail investors, as they're called not just institutional investors, could buy options. I see. Okay. Sorry for the 
That was wild. The, the aside, but I think that it was a wild hopefully it was aside. educational. I think it was. All right, tell um, me some jargon. Okay, so diamond hands, like me. What are diamond hands? The reason I would hold on to my stock and not let it go no matter what. Yeah, so even if the price of GameStop starts like dropping, dropping. No diamond hands. If you sell, that will further push down the price of GameStop. So right, and if you show, sell too early, it's poopy hands. Okay. The poop hand emoji. This yeah. poop and then the hand. Because some people, GameStop was going up, and at 200, they were like, okay, this is insane. Like, clearly, I've, I've made, you know, 10 times more than I bought it at. Yeah, and they um, let it go. There and was then this, it went to 400. There was, like, this this other guy who he literally put his whole, like, he put $200,000 into it, and then he he, called, he YOLO'd is, like, just doing something crazy, right? Then he cashed out his 401k early and put another like $100,000 on it. But he made $4 million. But that's like very rare. Yeah. So YOLOing stock options is the key. Cause it, exactly. Right. Because the option gives you so much extra leverage. That's that's a that's a rich dad kind of mindset. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, I guess, a little fin- like the tendy man. Yeah. Why is it is, tendies? Tendies are like chicken tenders because... What else are you going to do with a bunch of stocks, uh, stock money other than buy chicken tenders? It's kind of, it's like saying like the whole thing is dumb. So just eat chicken tenders. Because these are all unemployed bros spending their like stimmy checks on Robin Hood. Like, and people did argue that a lot of stimulus money might have ended up in people's Robin Hood accounts where they day traded. Where Okay, well, so whatever. I mean. To once again quote Matt Levine, he called it the boredom markets hypothesis. I mean, a lot of stimulus checks ended up Just, on new outfits to do Zoom true. shows and like yeah, yeah. makeup. And, and that's you a know. big part of it, too. There was a, a whole like kind of renaissance in streaming culture. Witness, question block. Word. Because this of pod, the pandemic. Yeah. But I'm saying it also applied to. We got new phones. Yeah. It, for this. It also applied to trading. So that if if like many of the things you normally could do during everyday life are shut down because of a pandemic. By comparison, trading stocks on Robinhood seems more fun. And so the theory is once life returns to normal, probably there will be less meme stocks. A lot of people will like go back to doing the fun stuff they do, like you know play dodgeball or come to shows at Secret Loft um, and spend less time trading on Robinhood. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That theory would say that meme stocks and GameStop and AMC might just be like a, a one-time blip. But in it's the, so funny. I hope it's not. I hope we have more to lull about yeah. So I guess so where did moral... to the where did to the moon come from? Oh, because Elon Musk wants to go to the moon. He wants he's the wants he wants to go to Mars and the moon, and and he also likes Dogecoin. Yeah, right? so like the rocket emoji was real big. Oh yeah, rocket emoji. That's right. Yeah, because Elon Elon is like the, the rockets to the moon. idol of like the Wall Street bets. Like they call him like Father Musk. So because Elon Musk is like great at being outrageous on Twitter and, and yellowing and he himself has a meme stock. Uh, yeah, he's like a real hero. He's the mascot. Yeah, very much. And he he likes as do we all like Doge. Everyone likes Doge. So cute. But he was specifically also referencing Dogecoin, which we're going to talk about in our money episode oh, yeah. coming up in a few months. Money. Spoiler alert. It's not worth anything. <laughs> okay. So if you've listened this long, God bless you. And please leave us a five-star review. We'll continue to bring you amazing content. 
Shout out Danny Feltz, our editor. Yes, Thanks so I much. Say that. Because he turned what's probably a two hour episode into hopefully was only Five about minutes. 80 minutes for you. <laughs> into he turned a a Great Depression into a flash crash. Nice. Call to encourage the captain crew and all. Soon may the Tendy man come to send a rocket into the sun. One day when the trading is done, we'll take our games and go. Soon may the Tendy man come to send a rocket into the sun. One day when the trading is done, we'll take our games and go.